Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric, this is Double Feature, and of course, joining us today is Michael Kester. That's right, I'm here. I'm, uh, I'm trying to decide whether today I'm the dead man or the mole, and I hope to find out by the end of the show, which I am. Ah, yes, dead man and the mole. What if I called this movie the mole <laughs> the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> just, just be great dead man and el topo are the two movies but el topo in inglés is the mole yes which has the word done it which means it goes second right for sure of course <laughs> great really sticking to an arbitrary rule nobody cares about yeah, yeah today's well, I mean, um please <laughs> i was just gonna say that today's theme is uh Directors with hard to pronounce J names. That's our theme today. That's the only theme we came up with, and here we are. We got a real solid theme today, actually. Although I'm, I'm curious how much of it is on accident, because I, I feel a little more of your hand in this one, but I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, especially when you start talking about acid movies. Acid you, movies uh, in the West, man. Yeah. <laughs> acid Western sounds like something we're in the middle of when we're trying to write the schedule. So, yeah, that's true. I'm trying to remember back to how this got on here. But Dead Man and El Topo is an awesome two movies to attempt to understand something purely through osmosis. Mm-hmm. The Acid Western. Yeah. I'm still not sure after watching the two movies, I know what the Acid Western is. I don't know where you're at on your own personal oh, acid I, western journey. I'm definitely well versed in 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 an acid western versus a spaghetti western versus an austern versus an American Oof. western. I've got them. I've got them. You know, I have a I have like a very conspiracy esque chart with with yarn wrapped around thumbtacks in front of me. Good. Uh, how they're all connected. It's just a big picture of a Neo Morricone in the middle that just says, is he the one? <laughs> Question mark. Oh my God. I'm, you know, some days, man, I'm just so glad we do this show together. <laughs> I see movies and I'm like, I wish Michael could tell me what the fuck's going on here. <laughs> and then I see your conspiracy chart. I'm like, why did I ask Michael about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, both of these movies were new to me. You know I have a personal rule. I only watch one Jodorowsky movie every 15 years. So Yeah, that's right. That's we, right. we were exactly due for one. Yeah. And uh, I think I got one more. Mm-hmm. But Dead Man, how do you pronounce this director's last name? You could do it first since you called yourself out. I, I it's all for me, it's 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 a very it's a very soft you. It's a you with an with it's a jarmish. Oh, you were gonna say an umlaut, weren't you? I was, but then I realized that that would have been the other way to pronounce it, which is not how I pronounce it. The cinematographer of Dead Man has an umlaut, and I've been dreading it the, from the moment I finished watching this to the moment we hit record. Robbie Muller? Mueller? M-U-Avec umlaut, L-L-E-R. Yeah, so Dead Man was also a surprise for me. It's a Jim Jarmusch movie. Jim Jarmusch, Jim Jarmusch movie. Mm-hmm. I'm finding that he is like uh, royalty in New York. 
Sure. And so now I'm even more self-conscious about how I pronounce his name because people talk about his movies a lot. And I just don't fucking know. Joe DeRosa. Just call him old Jimmy J. <laughs> yeah. Just, Jimmy J. I do have a friend who calls him Jim. And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. And she's like, Jim, you know, Jim. When I was talking to Jim, I'm like, you're not talking to Jim. <laughs> what are you doing? It's getting too loose in here. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, Jodorowsky, I'm probably not pronouncing that. Uh, but, I, you know, that's a, that's a bet I made a long time, and I'm definitely yeah. lying in it. Yeah. And hopefully we got El Topo, so that completes our series of pronouncing names. But, yeah, the theme really, you know, I feel like Acid Westerns start with El Topo. That's kind of like the codified. Mm-hmm. Although, as we're finding with all these fucking movements... Acid Westerns existed before El Topo. Sure, and black people probably made them. Probably. We, <laughs> we, we stole them from ancient Chinese theater, I think is yep. what happened. Mm-hmm. Based on the old Greek play, you know. Sure. But Dead Man is, uh, is an example that comes much later, and it also looks nothing like El Topo, which is really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. So we have two movies that are kind of of this same collection, the same... I hesitate to even call it a film movement, but wh- whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And they really couldn't be more different just when you first stare at them until you dig in a little bit and think about them for your podcast. So I recommend everyone go do that for their podcast. One thing you should do for our podcast is go to patreon.com forward slash double feature because uh, we are about that at the end of our own vision quest and ready to die in the desert, cold and alone. I guess you get cold in the desert. You usually die in the desert. You know, the scene is like you die in the day and then at night it's very cold in the desert. Whatever. I wasn't painting a very good picture there, but the point is we're on life support and we need you to go to patreon.com forward slash double feature. It is where with your support we continue doing the show and we get to things that admittedly make me very uncomfortable. I feel a lot more guided by the gentle hand of Michael Kester today. <laughs> Has his, uh, his hand firmly on the canoe as we explore this weird acid trip. But I know a secret fact other people might not know, that Michael has never taken acid. So I don't know how much <laughs> I should really unreliable guide here. Anyways, be part of whatever nonsense I'm uh, talking about here. If you love or hate pairs like this, we will bring you more. Now you're learning. We will bring you more <laughs> pairs like this. Sometimes I just do an impression of you. That's how I get to yeah, these shows. Yeah. It's the, it's, the, it's the Fox News thing. If, you, if people are afraid, they're more invested. Well, I swear to God, we'll give you so many acid westerns if you don't donate to the Patreon. Well, in my... Um, my Daily quest to not be anything like Fox News. I'm going to give you a promise that I will deliver on, which is uh, I, I want to talk about all the the Jodorowsky today because I feel like the last time we talked about him on the show, it was largely in the sort of self myth making puff piece. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I really love Jodorowsky's Dune, the movie. It's very important to me. And I did say on that show, so I will just leave my cards on the table. Although I should only give this information to the Patreon subscribers who can hear it, that I am not personally much of a fan of the Jodorowsky. Mm -hmm. So it was weird for me seeing that documentary. If you haven't heard of Jodorowsky's Dune, you know, whatever, we'll talk about it later. 
why talk about it now? But uh, I want to take a look at the the flip side of that coin because Jodorowsky's Dune did such a good job of being like, here is a totally mild-mannered, not controversial at all figure who is just a nice guy who should get to make Dune. Anyway, see you later. We'll be looking at his early work, the controversial Tofo. Okay, is that it? Is that everything? There's spoilers? Yeah, we'll spoil them. It is a little bit backwards order then to go into Dead Man. Do you worry the skews are take on the Acid Western? No, definitely not. Um, I think that honestly, starting with Dead Man makes more sense because Dead Man feels a lot more like a movie. And, you know, I feel like to just dive into the Acid Western into the 70s, like the, just the general, the, the general hallucinogenic climate of the 1960s and 70s. Yeah. That has really waned in modern time. And so you do sort of need an aperitif to get into whatever the fuck the actual acid Western like beginning was. Yeah, because Dead Man's mid-90s, El Topo, I think, is right on the cusp. I think it's 1970. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's really, I mean, it's a very, as with the all the Jodorowsky stuff, it's very 60s yeah. feeling. Mm-hmm. Dead Man does not feel that way to me. It may have technically more peyote in it. Sure. But only technically. Sure. I didn't know what to expect with this movie. I turn it on and I'm immediately confronted with this image that for me is just so interesting. And I'm not sure what it is. I will attempt to put it into words, but we're on the train with Johnny Depp. Mm -hmm. He's very young. We got Crispin Glover covered in train soot, Mm -hmm. being a weirdo. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be having conversations kind of across each other. I'm not really sure how this dialogue is going. Mm -hmm. But as I just stare at tiny Johnny Depp with his weird haircut and his hat and like all these choices, the glasses, all these these um you know this design of this character something by the way i find to be a big part of both of these movies today is the designs of the and and kind of ongoing designs of the character mhm i just can't stop going what am i looking at you know it's a western but it's in a very specific style of black and white mhm not even that like high contrast stuff where when somebody goes, oh man, black and white, but hyper stylized, we're used, we're used to seeing like high contrast. Mm-hmm. And this is like a very mid-tone heavy black and white. It looks like, you know, gallery photography. Right. And it's a Western. And those two things do not meet in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been thinking a lot about Red Rock West lately. That's a movie that marries noir and Western. But even that... That kind of goes, oh, both of these styles always should have gone together. Look how well they pair. Mm-hmm. And a black and white Western is like, wow, this fucking feels illegal. Yep. This is so weird. Yeah. I mean, I think the main, like for me, the main takeaway for what makes a movie an acid Western, and just, you know, I apologize for doing this this way right now, but Uh-oh. acid Westerns don't actually happen. What do you mean? I mean, they don't take place in reality. They are uh, not really humans. Um, it when you think of when you think of like a quintessential western, whether it's the big studio western, like you know something like The Searchers or Rio Bravo, or um, 
you know, once upon a time in the West or fistful of dollars, if you're talking the spaghetti Western, which are basically the two types of classic Westerns that exist in modern cinema. Those are very firmly like, this is a tale, even a movie like True Grit, the remake. This is a tale that took place in the American West. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, there is no... Dead Man, obviously less so than the next movie, but those choices you're talking about, that sort of like semi-surreal feeling you get at the beginning of this movie, to me is what defines this genre as it's something that the, the West is the character and the characters are aspects of the West. You think this is kind of like, imagine a place and time where this could have occurred. Right. Imagine this psychedelic forest or psychedelic yeah. dunes or wherever we are. Right. Yeah. And it's it's not actually it's 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 sort of like this this parallel universe that doesn't actually have the West, but like it came to some like and the best way I can put it is like imagine Jim Jarmusch in in the mustache universe, Bizarro Jarmusch, right? Mm-hmm. In his universe, there was no American West. You know, we'll just call it creationism and the world just like started in the 1950s thanks to Eisenhower. Just made the world. That's literally what the Bible says. Right. <laughs> so, so all the, you know, all the things that look like the American West happens are just tests by God. The devil put dinosaurs here. All yeah, that yeah, nine. Yeah. Okay. That's true in the bizarro universe. So Jim Jarmusch gets a fever, Bizarro Jarmusch gets a fever of 110 degrees one night. And in that dream, his psyche sees the American West from our universe. And then he makes a movie about that thing he saw, but that he doesn't actually, hasn't actually experienced, doesn't have any, there's no historic relevance to acid westerns right it's not well the railroad is what's causing the the it, none of that bullshit it's yeah. not about that you know it's not about its groundedness and it, it basically any western other than than a movie like dead man or el topo or the other ones in this double subgenre, they're period pieces and this isn't yeah, well, it's also uh, a little ambiguous. It, it tries to confuse its period a little bit. Exactly. You know, it's not just the the look of the movie, but it's also the sound of the movie. This soundtrack, this Neil Young soundtrack, is it's so distinctly electric guitar, not of the era. Mm-hmm. You know, you imagine Western, and you imagine the twangy guitar. You imagine well. You imagine the Morricone actually to get you back to your conspiracy chart, <laughs> but uh, you know, in very infamous scores, even in the spaghetti westerns, that's really where I imagine the Morricone. That is the good, the bad, and the ugly. That is the what is that instrument? It's like a piccolo or something. I can already hear it in my head. <laughs> I was explaining to somebody earlier the kind of you know American westerns tried to give us this sense of hey, this is really what America was about Mm -hmm. at this time. So they're doing their own myth-making. Heavy on the America, light on the Western. And then spaghetti Westerns were the exploitation Westerns that, you know, here comes the blasphemy, but I find more authentic artistically in a weird way. Mm -hmm. And also they're just done by like Italian craftsmen directors 
Yeah, I mean, American the the non spaghetti American westerns are essentially propaganda. They're from very much from that time, especially shortly following the Second World War. So I find like the Italian interpretation of what American western really is to be also like I, I wouldn't call it myth making quite as much, but it's just an interesting interpretation to me. Mm-hmm. And I just find the art to be really fucking great. But these acid westerns are sort of like if aliens came to Earth and did a play about, I don't even know, they flipped through channels, three channels, and they were just like, yeah, whatever, we got it. Right. It's like if AI made a western. Yeah, I mean, it's not even that because it's like, how did the Neil Young get in there? Why is it black and white? You know, this is what I mean, pulling these pieces in. I want to talk for a minute about the cinematographer because I tried to pronounce his name, so the damage has already been done. Um, Ravi Muller, whose style I just find, this was a, a Danish cinematographer, again, like very, very talked about at the theaters that I've been going to. I see a lot of like, okay, so I, I went and saw a 24-hour party people mm-hmm. at the Roxy Theater not too long ago. And it's kind of this weird... Um, it sort of tells the story of Joy Division and like music at the time, and the, it doesn't matter what it's about. But it's a very, it looks quick and dirty. It's got that base moi look, and it doesn't. It, it's a lot more. It doesn't look anything like Dead Man. I guess is what I'm getting at. Dead Man seems very, you know, formally competent. Very like it's some real artistry. And I just started to notice his work. You know, he did a couple of Von Trier movies. He did Dancer in the Dark and Breaking the Waves, which are also like, uh, you know, Dancer in the Dark. I feel like Breaking the Waves is a little more experimental. Dancer in the Dark is a little more formal. He did um, Ghost Dog. Remember when we watched Ghost Dog? Mm -hmm. That's on the Patreon. And he did Paris, Texas. So, you know, and Paris, Texas reads like a Western in a lot of ways too, Mm -hmm. but not like Dead Man does. And so I think there's a lot of, just a lot of his visual style where he could have gone in many different directions, even if he'd just fucking done Paris, Texas. You know, that kind of look applied here looks a lot more like Western. It looks a lot more, I just think that these are really strange decisions, very quizzical decisions, the music and the look. And they play really well with the performances, which also read as totally bizarre. You know, there is um, Johnny. It might be worth talking about Johnny Depp's character a little bit because I also think there's some kind of you know westerns are very much about like the guy that's in the western. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if that'll sort of be part of this or if they leave that out in uh, in the acid westerns we're looking at. But even the other characters are all very, especially the people who pop up for one scene. Mm-hmm. The Billy Bob Thornton characters in this movie. Sure. Yeah. They the show Iggy up Pop. and there's Iggy Pop. Yeah. They show up. They're so weird. The performances read as very strange. I think Jim Jarmish has a really odd sense of humor mm-hmm. that I, uh, I mean, I honestly don't understand it at all. I'm not afraid to nope. say that. I think a lot of people are just like, not even close. You know, look at Dead Don't Die. Uh, that's my, that's where my head's at too. I just an insanely it's, polarizing movie because yeah. people are just most people I feel like let's say fifty percent fifty percent of people went to that movie and just went what the fuck was that <laughs> and you know it's a comedy 
you know sure. it's being funny, but you're you're sort of I'm trying to imagine Jim Jarmish sitting there laughing at it, and I'm not even sure what parts, you know. Well, I'm you know, it always makes me wonder in a movie like that or in Dead Man, if Jim Jarmish's if his comedy comes from something in the movie or from the idea of people watching what's in the movie. Yeah, like, oh, this is cinema. Right. This is <laughs> this is what you get. Right. I'm still on a path figuring out how to feel about Jim Jarmish. I we also did Only Lovers Left Alive on the show, mm-hmm. and I fucking love Only Lovers Left Alive. Mm-hmm. I think it is uh, like all of these other movies. One thing I will say is Extreme Vision. That's true of both of these movies today. They are so distinct. They are so one of a kind. And even for playing off of previous genres. Even for Dead Man, a movie that is now being lumped into the same genre as El Topo or the same kind of, um, you know, being lumped into acid westerns, it doesn't even look like the other acid westerns. So just completely singular. And there's almost a, I hesitate to say this, but I kind of feel like I'd, I'd almost rather be quizzical about what the fuck is Jim Jarmusch doing than enjoy laughing at his jokes. Sure. You know, like I think not getting the humor is part of what's really interesting to these movies or about these movies to me because I can watch them and they have like a lot more mystery. They're a lot more quizzical in that way. Maybe we end talking about Johnny Depp and we can get into the main character in El Topo a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think the character in general, it's the whole of Dead Man, everything that happens in between the beginning and the end of the movie. I mean, that's the ride, but Mm. it starts as this fucking yuppie, extremely out of place feller from Cleveland coming to be, you know, some sort of accountant type. And it ends with him finally dying because one of the many bounty hunters on his trail found him living in the woods, living off the land, and shot him in the back. Something we see thematically, at least in Dead Man, maybe we'll see it in El Topo, is these circumstances. That's very Western. These kind of like, what is Dead Man if not plans thrown asunder by random consequences? Mm -hmm. You know, he goes there to be an accountant. He can't be an accountant. Goodbye, accountant. He goes to a bar, hooks up with the first girl he sees. Everybody shoots each other. And then he wanders off into the woods. And I I don't even feel like he's going anywhere in particular Mm -hmm. or gets anywhere. It's kind of just like keeps wandering. No, I mean, his story ends in that scene where he finds out his job isn't there. That's yeah, where his yeah, actual story that's, does. Yeah. That's where his his story ends. Yeah, and so it becomes wandering after that. But the character is so interesting because the character continues changing mm-hmm. as they uh, you know, they really heighten with the look of the character as well, like losing the glasses, the pain on the face, the blood, and and all of it as time goes on. And you really do look at first frame Johnny Depp versus last frame Johnny Depp and see two William Blake, I should say, which is also mm-hmm. another weird piece of this, to just be like, yeah, I don't know, named after the poet. I love that the character does not, he just happens to have the same name as William Blake, but he doesn't actually know any of William Blake's poetry, which is really funny. Mm-hmm. And that the other guy does is also hilarious. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so maybe there are Jim Jarmusch jokes I like kind of <laughs> about this. But yeah, so he, you know, people start dying and they almost, it's sort of like tripped on a rake, shot three people, you know, like those kind of deaths. Mm-hmm. It's always like I caught someone in a shoulder and then his gun fired and killed these two other people here. Even the the first death is, you know, this girl leaping in front of him and the other guy shooting the girl. And it's only then to, that he has to, you know, snap into self-defense and shoot this guy. So you kind of see him become a murderer on accident. Mm-hmm. And slowly that sort of like, I'm a murderer, but it was self-defense, just becomes I'm a murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where you it almost seems weird to even use mur- the word murderer for the first you know, the first guy who dies. And so these kind of random circumstances just keep coming up in the movie until really, I mean, a lot of the characters' deaths. Look at this whole story they set up of the guys who go to hunt him down. One is just dismissed completely, dies, you know, nearly between the pains. And then another, well, actually another kind of dies that way too as does the last one. They're all just sort of dispensed with unceremoniously. You would imagine that the story would build towards some big showdown, but everybody is kind of dead before they're even dead, you know? Mm-hmm. And you have this, uh, this guy who is really, really kind of hardened by his circumstance. Goes from like total, you know, innocent, ingenue, big-eyed Johnny Depp Young Johnny Depp, right. Edward Scissorhands. Uh, no, it, it's literally it's literally Johnny Depp's entire career in two hours. Yeah, it's pretty fucking crazy, right? <laughs> All right, El Topo stars Alejandro Jodorowsky. Yep. <sighs> Should we logline it first? Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually it does have a logline, you know. Um, How long it adheres to it is sort of another matter, maybe. A, a black-clad gunslinger, El Topo is out conquering people for some reason with his naked son. And after giving his son to a group of monks, forces himself on a woman who says, hey, if you want to have a real relationship, I need you to kill these four people in the desert. Real men kill all four masters. And then, you know, then we can like be good. That's like the the a like the the high level logline, and then there's sort of this like undercurrent. The A side, yeah. There's sort of this like undercurrent to it, where like, I mean, like it's not even an undercurrent. There's a rape scene, which is an overcurrent, but where like the whole of it is that he's kind of a shitty guy. Uh, he's not only just a shitty guy; he's a shitty gunslinger. He's not a her- he's he's not even really an anti-hero in a true sense because he doesn't stand for anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know that's obviously symbolic of him being dressed in black in the classic Western sense. You know, wearing black means you're Lee Van Cleef. It means you're the bad guy. Yeah, and it's like extremely violent. Um, it's you know we've done. Um, one or two Sergio Corbucci movies who is like the violent spaghetti Western guy. And those look like PG rated movies compared to this even. Yeah. These are, I mean, you know, the, uh, the reason I space out my Jodorowsky movies so much is they just feel vile. They really, yeah, they just feel like maggots and flies all the time. And they're super, Mm -hmm. um, 
No, it's 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 Just a super it's a dis- ugly movies, you know. It's a despicable little movie. Yeah, I shouldn't say little because it's immense. Yeah, but it is. It's it is. Um, it's you know, there's. Just to clear the air, because I know this is something you wanted to bring up, and I feel like it is fair to bring it up. Um, there is the pieces of disgusting trivia that go into the actual making of the movie um, that are then, uh, you know, I I feel like they're not done for no reason, but I also don't necessarily feel like... Um, you know, there's, so there's this rape scene, right? And like, that's gross. And the character is supposed to be a bad guy for doing it or whatever. But also like, there's this thing, right? There's this thing. Uh, did you, are you familiar about how like the rape scene like might be actually a rape? I'm, yeah. Well, I was yeah. curious to get your read on this. So I guess. I don't actually think it was, but. Um, cause there's two, it's, it's like twofold, right? We should right? provide like, a little context for yeah. this because it's, so there's a very controversial movie for this scene in particular. Mm-hmm. We don't see a lot on camera with it, mm-hmm. but there is this anecdote that went around at the time where Jodorowsky said on this, uh, like kind of press stint for the movie, oh, we did this rape scene and you know, it's real. I really raped her. And you can look up the quote. It's a pretty heinous quote, the original mm-hmm. sort of like. Yeah, it also like specifically says she was raped in real life, so like this was an experiment to get at those emotions or some shit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it goes on to bad. basically go like she never had an orgasm, and you know the first time she had an orgasm was in this rape scene, and you know he talks about the the like phallic imagery of the scene. So you know you can see this this. Um, I mean, there's a thread of Jodorowsky that is important and separate from this, which is like Jodorowsky, the mad genius. Mm-hmm. And so let's just keep that, that uh, you know, this isn't like a place where I'm trying to endorse that idea, but I think a lot of this movie is about who is this Jodorowsky guy. Mm-hmm. And so in order to understand this anecdote, I think you need to understand first that there is a thread, a public thread of like, how would you describe Jodorowsky? Oh, a mad genius. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So maybe we should have set the the context first there. But he comes out, he says this, and he goes, yeah, you know, it was an uh, unsimulated rape scene. I told her I was going to rape her. He says some really awful stuff in the press about the movie that's really meant to like stoke controversy, mm-hmm. which maybe it does. And, you know, years go on and people ask him about this many, many years later, especially in the last couple of years. I think there was once in 2017, once in 2019. A lot of this stuff is on Wikipedia or it's available. I mean, now especially you can't, uh, you can't really see a lot of people writing about this movie without invoking this. But he said he raped Mara Lorenzio in the scene at the time. I can't find her saying anything about it. So he says he did it. And then many, many years later, he says, well, he was kind of doing this press stuff in character and just stoking controversy because otherwise the film would have died in obscurity. Nobody would have known about it. So basically, Jodorowsky outs himself as having raped somebody on camera in a scene and then later goes, no, I was being an edgelord. (laughs) I I was just trying to get you guys riled up 
get everybody excited for my movie. So I went out there and said, you know, a bunch of heinous stuff. And, you know, we, we've seen this before by directors who, who look to create this image of themselves as very controversial, crazy directors. And Jodorowsky, especially in his older age, like he has this ability to sort of talk about something in a way that, like he's a really good, he's a really good PR person, except for that time he said he raped somebody in his movie. <laughs> but you know what I mean? He, he has a great way of speaking kind of poetically. Mm-hmm. So as to say, like, understand at the time I wanted to join cinema and they wouldn't let me into this world with my little movie, so I had to stoke controversy to get eyes on it. You know, we had consensual sex on camera. I only said these things such as this and I slaughtered animals and blah, blah, blah as a way of getting people outranged so they would see my controversial movie. And when you take that in combination with the fact that these are not the stories of Marlo Renzio, it's basically like, you know, Jodorowsky like me too himself as younger Jodorowsky. Mm-hmm. And so it just admires the whole thing in controversy. And what makes it really crazy is, you know, for years, this movie would get played in New York and Walter Reed and all these great theaters. They do retrospectives on his work. And just in the last few years, there's a place here doing a retrospective of his stuff that basically said, we were aware of the incidents uh, or the story at the time. We tried to look into this. We weren't able to properly contextualize it with evidence or whatever. And so we just decided we're not going to air his stuff. So just pretty recently, you know, the tides kind of turned on that and, and, uh, you know, he's a bit out of favor. This is all very complicated for me because El Topo is a movie that I think is about Jodorowsky. He plays the central character. He is a god in the movie. You know, anything that you could say about the journey of that character, you could say about, in some symbolic way, Jodorowsky. And even the very thing he's saying about his, his scene with Mara is that, you know, they were going after realism. So that is what it is. But I think that also has implications when you talk about like the drugs in this movie. Mm -hmm. This was probably a bunch of people on a lot of drugs. Mm -hmm. It sounds like many of them barely knew each other. Yep. And so you are watching a movie that for as crazy as it is, I don't know, maybe you have a different, different sense of this. But like, I also think there's a lot in this movie that is a lot more grounded in personal reality mm-hmm. than when I see a Jodorowsky movie, I see somebody having a brain spark and then just following it. Sure. And then he goes, what if the character did this? And then they just go do it. Yeah. They have to set up these scenes, but maybe when he's writing it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it kind of plays out in this almost like three act structure or this, you know, a hero goes off and he, he wants to be with this woman, but he must kill four masters and then he kills them and then whatever. But then like, there's another hour mm-hmm. and it sort of just seems like, oh, what if then he did this? Oh, what if he transformed into this? Oh, what if his son came back in this way? And it's just a guy who keeps, I mean, um, Holy Mountains that way too. Mm-hmm. It just keeps moving away. And then what if there was this big set piece? Oh, what if all those guys did this though? And so it seems more impulsive and maybe more rooted in you know personal reality in some way right than just being crazy psychedelic you know fiction 
Yeah. No, I mean, Maybe, I, think I don't that, know. Am I crazy here? No, I think that that's definitely a big part of it, but that's, that's what you get when you have literally one person running the show. I mean, if you want to talk about the biggest contrast between the two movies today, aside from, you know, everything, it's the, uh, how the two people who made these movies view making movies, man. Mm-hmm. I know it comes up every time we talk about Jim Jarmusch, but he's like one of the few big name directors who is like rejective of the auteur theory that says that directors make movies and other people just help them or whatever. Uh, Jim Jarmusch is like firmly against that idea. He thinks that movies are made by a group of people and that it is no one person's film. Jodorowsky probably would line up everybody who helped him and murder them at the end of a movie just so that he could be the only one left that worked on it. Yeah. It's it's so much his thing that, I mean, when you're talking about where this movie goes, I think, I mean, I, I think, again, this is, this, this movie is like so not set in reality. And it's very much this allegory of like a bad guy who like does all the murdering just so that he can get his dick wet. And then like that doesn't really work out. And then he goes, maybe if I'm super duper good, then it'll work out for me. Maybe if I'm just like this super nice guy and I take, I cut off all my evil hair and, uh, Oh, another physical transformation. That's what I was right. talking about with this sort of like, yeah, starts iconic all in black and we're just changing the appearance. We're going through like this constant transition. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very much, it's, it's not, um, it's not a cyclical story, right? It's not a story that it doesn't, uh, with one exception, I guess, being the very end of the, the how the movie ends. But aside from how he dies, this movie goes in a single direction and does not reference itself. There aren't things like foreshadowing in a Jodorowsky movie. There's not things like... Um, callbacks, right? You're not going to watch a Jodorowsky movie for an hour and 45 minutes and have somebody say a line that somebody else said earlier in the movie that made him think differently. Like that kind of shit doesn't happen. To me, the main thing about Jodorowsky movie, and I think it is what you're talking about, but I think I see it differently, is very much this temporal sense of the past and the future are not within your ownership and the present is all there is. And I think that that translates to him as a person. And I think that that translates also to that conversation about him saying he raped this person, then saying he didn't all of it. I I just don't think that, you know, you look at when we did Jodorowsky's Dune, he's just not a person that thinks in terms of history and future. He's not a person that every time he casts somebody in Dune, he wasn't going how many people do I have now? How many more people do I yeah, need? Yeah. In that moment, he goes, it's Orson Welles or I fucking walk. Yeah. And that's his entire life. Guided by impulse. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's this movie, right? That's the character. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, that is the character is Jodorowsky and the movie itself is, is just this impulsive quest of what if I, okay, I did. What if I, okay, I did. And then at the end, one character who never got any autonomy comes back and goes, yo, fuck you, and shoots him. Yeah, Jodorowsky's also a weird, um, a weird, very notable director to me because 
so many people whose work I love are very influenced by his work. Mm-hmm. And I think especially at the time, you know, we we can't talk about this movie without talking about the kind of lasting impact of El Topo. For a movie from the 70s, I don't feel like I've seen maybe any movie from the 60s that really encapsulated the 60s the way, I mean, honestly, the way Holy Mountain does, but mm-hmm. but El Topo coming before that, you know, it just represents that iconography in a way that even like the 60s music films, I don't feel like really landed on that. There, there was a sort of, uh, anything I've seen from that time has this idea of commercial art to it, at least in some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, a Beatles film knows it's being a Beatles film. It's funny because people. It's funny that you bring up a Beatles film because I feel like if you wanted to see what a commercial movie of El Topo would be, it would be Head, the Monkeys movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a commercial element. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of what tried to package and sell that culture at the time, you just can't get a movie that so seems to not give a fuck about what people think about it. I mean, few movies in history seem to be this way as much as a film like El Topo. It's just throwing all of this stuff out there without any concern for like, oh no, what will people think? Mm -hmm. Or even how will people interpret it or will they be able to? And so this this was an influential movie for... I mean, Refn has talked a lot about Jodorowsky. We hear his name up come, come up with Jodorowsky all the time. And David Lynch, and even a lot of the musicians at the time, um, speaking of the Beatles, very into El Topo for whatever reason, which doesn't, you know, there's actually like a weird link that we'll not explore because I don't think we know or care enough about the Beatles to do this here. (laughs) But there's like a weird thing going on with, uh, there's like a secret side of the Beatles, right? You know the Butcher cover? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so look this up if you're not familiar with it. It's an unbelievable sort of uh, Beatles cover, which is just like, um, isn't it like, you know, baby parts or doll parts or something? Yeah. I think it's like dismembered babies, but it's from the mid-60s and they didn't release it or it's a limited, it's basically like the band Beatles cover that you weren't supposed to see. Right. And I feel like they have this, secret subcultural uh, interest in things that were a little more fucked up than you would imagine like essentially a boy band would have. But I think, I mean, I, I, I disagree because that's sort of what I was getting at. I mean, I agree. I do agree. There's a dark side of the Beatles that's been covered up by modern society growing around them. But where that, is this on your conspiracy chart, by the way? This sounds like prime. <laughs> it's, it, this is exactly what I was saying at the very beginning of the show when I was mm-hmm. talking about the elevated level of psychedelia in just the modern ethos in the 60s and 70s. Like I think the Butcher's Beetle, the Beatles Butcher cover is so exactly what I'm talking about, right? If that came out in 1970, people would be like, oh, the Beatles, they're fucking crazy. Everybody's on drugs these days. But if you see it now, after the Beatles have been like fucking whitewashed into the band that does Blackbird and Twist and Shout, yeah, <laughs> then it's creepy and weird. But that's just not who anybody was. Everything was gritty and gross in the 70s. We didn't have 
the internet. You know, it's things were rough around the edges. Society wasn't, you know, at a place where people weren't whitewashing things. It didn't matter because people weren't as sensitive to stupid shit like that. This was a midnight movie. You know, this was just cult appeal midnight movie like any number of the films that you and I have ever talked about that are in the the canon of, you know, like you'll make a joke about Human Centipede or I'll bring up Cannibal Holocaust or something like that. This is real underground art that was being made at the time and was real influential to the kind of Dennis Hopper types, the sort of, mm-hmm. especially artists I think who were really on the same wavelength with the drug culture. It spoke to them in a way and influenced them and we wouldn't have so much of, you know, for as much as this, I guess what I'm saying about Jodorowsky is that none of the art speaks to me, especially as a person who doesn't do drugs, like I have trouble connecting to it. Yeah. But you remove it one step and the top, you know, 15 of the top 20 most important artists to me are like, and I loved El Topo (laughs) and I love the Holy Mountain. And so this is the same thing as Jarmish for me. It's a maybe even worse than with Jarmish. With Jarmish, I can at least sit there and like one to one have a conversation with it. But El Topo, it's like speaking a foreign language to me, literally and uh, metaphorically. And I know that there is a through line somehow between El Topo and David Lynch and me. And uh, no amount of watching El Topo seems to be able to get me there. <laughs> The website is patreon.com forward slash double feature. The executive producers of the show are Charles Crawford, Ben Ecker, Brad Parker, and Joachim Vernon. Thanks, guys. So we have finally reached the month of October. Yeah, which means that because our Patreon completely failed, we're going out of business and double feature will immediately be replaced by a spirit Halloween. No. Double feature started inside a spirit Halloween. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, we will become a spirit Halloween next time on the show. Yeah, it's uh, it's time for a horror fest. Um, we're trying something arbitrary. And the first pair of our Spooktober Spooktacular is um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame starring Lon Chaney Sr. And then we're going to pair that with the very famous, very creepy, whatever happened to baby Jane. Do you, let me run this by you. Do you think it would be better to let people know up front the theme? Yeah, I just didn't know what you wanted to do. All right, so we have four weeks of October. Yeah. I'll let you reveal our October long theme here because I think it might be kind of fun for people to try to guess the movies. But uh, I will give you a little breathing room with with which to uh, not take all the blame that you kind of came up with this and went, no, I don't know. Yeah. And I was like, no, that, that's awesome. <laughs> and you're like, no, is it corny? Like, no, we're fucking doing it. I think it's fun. Yeah. So uh, we have four weeks of October. That means four shows. And the theme for this month is something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Amazing. Watch more old fucking film. All right, bye.